It's the Climate Cause. Hello! Welcome to the Climate Cause. I'm Maddie Rez, a human being on the planet Earth, and I'm looking around right now and thinking, how do we achieve all that needs to be achieved to beat the climate crisis in such a short manner of time? And how do we make sure we do it right in the face of world social, economic, and environmental disparities? This series will bring light to the different ways humans are looking at and doing something about climate change. Join me as I interview so many passionate, smart, and unique individuals who all work in climate-related fields and share a common cause. Recalibrating our built world to address the multitude of issues going on. I'm here with Mario Foligno, who is the founder and chief executive officer of the Ecological Design Network. Um, Mario and I met through mutual friend, Austin, um, who had nothing but good things to say about Mario and the great work that he's been up to um, and their experiences um, relating to the environment and just learning about the world around us. So welcome, Mario. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Well, I'm excited that you're here. We have a lot of really interesting topics to talk about. Um, and our, but our real intention today is to learn more about you, how you connect to the client to climate action, and the, a little bit more about the work that you do um, and what takes up your time. So, in great fashion, I'm going to open up with a relatively big question. Um, and that question is: How do you connect the dots between climate action, adaptation, resilience? and resilience as an opportunity for improving society for the better. So I guess I'm gonna break that down into three ways that I see it, because I try to look at it, you know, um, the problem is a solution, or at least the problem presents the opportunity uh, for a solution. Um, first would be the collective power of a global problem. When humanity as a whole is faced with a global problem, um, and especially now that we have the power to leverage that, um, you know, with online communication, the internet, um, phones, you know, millions of different ways to connect with each other, basically. It brings us together in a way that we, you know, uh, easier times tend not to, sadly. Um, so it offers us an opportunity not on only to look across the globe and look to connect and work with each other in new ways that we, you know, previously may have not done communication. So I think that's going to be a really um, unique opportunity that, you know, we've had these things more or less uh, developing for the last 50 years, but at, at COVID showed us especially um, the power for those to take the forefront of our lives is, uh, is expanding and it's becoming a dominant force. So I really think that is going to be um, an opportunity that comes from this and developing, you know, a better world for it. Um, secondly, I would, I'm going to look at the, you know, the actual ecological aspect of it, where again, the problem is the solution. If we're, you know, carbon is the basis of, of basically all life on earth. There, it's just mostly a problem when you put a ton of it in the atmosphere. Um, and, um, you know, to make that problem worse is when you have a very uh, a rigid uh, society structure across the globe that is not adapted to a world that ebbs and flows and changes um, 
you know, our human lives are very, very short in the grand scheme of not only earth history, but, uh, but of, you know, climatic patterns and things of that nature and natural cycles. So we got to look at ways, how does nature handle these um, changes? And then how can we, you know, as stewards are, of our environment, either, you know, enhance uh, what might be a degraded um, resource or ability that nature once had, or how do we, you know, improve and amplify these effects. So you have um, uh, carbon sequestration by plants. Obviously, um, you can bring down, I, I, I'm going to hesitate to use exact figures here because I don't have them right in front of me. And the last thing I would want to do is give out inaccurate information. I highly recommend um, everyone goes and looks up how much carbon can be sequestered by, you know, for my area, let's say like a native oak savanna type uh, Great Lakes grain belt prairie. And we, so we can start bringing that carbon back out of the atmosphere, putting it back into the ground and using it to produce plant biomass, which is going to help with the soil erosion problems we see around the globe, um, the inequality and hunger problems we see around the globe, as well as building back some degraded ecosystems or ecosystems that you know, um, might no longer exist anymore and we might have to rebuild those. And then um, that plays into that as well, I guess plays into both be the um, business opportunities for people. And I hate to use this as an opportunity to say, let's make some money because that's not how I look at it. I, I view capital in three forms, the social aspect of capital, the biological aspect of capital, and then the monetary aspect of capital. Our society is somewhat skewed those capital views, um, and we now take monetary capital um, as really the only form of capital. When in reality, it's just a stored form of energy. But we're we're sacrificing energy from our social and biological lives to store it in this monetary value, and then dis distribute it in such an unequal way that it contributes to a lot of the problems we see today. So these business opportunities are you know, mass unemployment is, is going to come. I mean, their automation is on its way. The advancements in um, artificial intelligence and automation are here and they're only gonna progress at a faster rate through time. So how do we look to getting people back to producing their base needs? Because it's really, you know, unemployment is really only a problem if you do not have the resources to take care of yourself through a, a capital form that's not monetary. So, um, you know, we have in the cities, we have urban, you know, agroecological development, whether that's green roofs, greenhouses, um, markets, you know, things of that nature, restoring urban ecosystems. Throughout history, uh, urban centers have been built around um, agricultural centers. And throughout most of history, um, agriculture has been practiced in major cities. And then, you know, out in suburban areas, we look at redesigning the typical suburban neighborhood. We offer creatives an opportunity to, you know, really put that, you know, side of them to work and help start rebuilding or, or redesigning what we already have. Obviously, that involves, that's a very short statement for what involves a broad spectrum of people and talents and, and abilities and production needs. Um, and um, there's a lot of opportunity there in rural areas, getting people back to working on farms, you know, less than 5% of Americans 
um, grow food for economic reasons, that there's a huge opportunity there. The average American farm, um, again, I'm speaking in somewhat US-centric terms, but um, I know that data you know, off the top of my head and I try to avoid using data if I'm not 100% sure on the exact numbers of it, um, is not profitable. And most are going under, which causes you know, mass consolidation under massive corporate uh, umbrellas. So we can you know, see opportunities there to bring people back to the farm and allow people to expand economic viability to rural areas, which has been a real problem. So I think not only is the business opportunity there in you know, a variety of forms, but again, that building that collective intelligence and um, leveraging the ecological restoration of our planet, I think these are gonna work in synchrony with each other. And I, I don't see a way that we deal with this problem without using all three. And I also don't see a way that we, if implemented properly, th those do not um, compound the benefits to humanity on a fairly uh, massive scale. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate the full detail that you just went in there and and taking the time to really lay out how these things interlay and how I, the, one of the first things that came to my mind was that what you just pointed out in, a, in three different chunks highlights a key thing that I'm trying to address with this production and this podcast is that this solu the solutions ha have to be well-rounded and take into account the natural um, ecosystem, social capital, like social society, as well as the system that we have now, which happens to be financially dependent on monetary um, measures. And so I really like how you were talking about, you know, this, that we're sitting here at this like nexus of this opportunity to recalibrate the, the society that we live in, the soci society that for quite some time has been off kilter and has created these mass, massively built infrastructures and these cities and these super like monocrop um, type agricultural productions that, you know, we create, we have a lot of people, we create food and we're creating that connection there. But inherently, that is not something that can be sustained over time because it's completely neglecting those two pieces of the social and ecological capital that you highlighted um, so articulately. It's like making a cake and leaving out the two key ingredients that make it so sweet, the sugar and the egg. I'm not really a cake expert, but thinking about it in more simple terms, it's like in order to create a system that is fully functioning and can um, be livable for everyone and everything on this planet, um, it's really important that we, we come back to our roots and come back to being able to um, produce things on our own. And not necessarily like everyone has their own little backyard farm, but that we're able to see how we as people are creating this system, that we are meeting our needs and moving forward, not necessarily relying on this corporate machine or this this necessarily large system that's really out of touch with the ways that um, we're naturally meant to live and um, relate to those around us and relate to the world and 
the environment around us. And so thinking about how it could have been, right? How if we had people like you, if we had people thinking, um, I like to say, like it was an environmental and social lens, we'd probably be in a completely different world than we are in and we wouldn't be having this climate crisis. But here we are. And so I really um, see this value um, in your, um, just the way that you're explaining this because here we are in time and we have this huge global system that's been created over over the years that have, that has, brought us to a point where we're having a climate crisis there's a lot of social crises and there's a lot of economic crises as well in this world um, that are um, negatively affecting everyone and so it seems um completely out of off base and you're confirming it to think that we can solve one without addressing the other when in reality this is a system and we really need to change these global scales because we live in a global world. You know, I highly doubt that everything in my house right now came from the Portland area. I'm sure there are precious materials that came from other countries, other regions of the world. Um, and these, all those things come together to make this jacket or my computer that I'm able to talk to you through. So um, I definitely see and hear you and really appreciate the way that you laid that out because you really touched on those three things. Like how do we recal- like recalibrate our society to be more in touch with who we are at the same time, like following the truest relationship, which is the relationship we have with the planet, with the environment around us. Um, and you're not omitting the big elephant in the room, which is this, this global system that's based on economics that we have right now. Um, And so finding a way to really pull those threads together and think about how we can move forward and create something that, you know, checks all of the boxes and improves um, the bottom line for many and the system that we have now. Um, And so we hinted at the Ecological Design Network, um, and I was hoping you could maybe dive into a little bit about like what you do. and answer the question of like, what is a tool that you know to be true um, to help fix this problem and why do you believe so? So, uh, thank you. I, I appreciate everything you had Sorry, to say that was there. really long-winded. Oh, I, I love it. I love, I love long-winded and um, very deep theoretical conversations because you tend to, you know, we, it all ends up boiling down to these concepts that, you know, we as humans are still trying to learn and understand. I mean, some of this stuff is so broad and complex and, you know, every day it just, it becomes more interconnected and, you know, without conversations like these, I I highly doubt the world is going to be able to figure out how to pull the pieces back and start to, you know, work from the top down to solve these kind of problems. So I I love it. Um, So my company, what we do, um, granted, I'm a big picture person. So I like to explain what I'm, what we are planning to do. I'm going to try to break that up a little bit. And um, currently we are a design company. We focus um, in two major aspects. One is the design and implementation of new um, regenerative-based agricultural operations or agro-business would be another way to put it. Um, When we're creating um, a design from scratch, I really enjoy that. We get to, you know, 
build out these systems on uh, unique pieces of property with unique people and unique goals. And it, it's like putting, it, it's just like putting the, uh, you know, actually I would describe it like this. It's like, it's like a, it's like a painting, you know, all the colors are there. It's, it's what you're going to make of it. Um, so we felt like hobby farms, um, cattle ranches, bison ranches, uh, you know, larger scale cash cropping operations, you know, hemp, corn, soybean, I mean, uh, diverse polycultures, you know, we, you have people growing um, a variety of things, uh, you, like sorghum, millet, cereals, barley, oats, um, you know, if someone's growing, if growing grains for market, um, agroforestry, you know, you have people growing chestnuts and um, in the wood chips below the shiitakes and they're, you know, having pigs and goats and, and sheep run through their pastures. So we design regenerative based uh, agribusinesses. Also what we do, we focus on the transition from conventional agriculture to regenerative agriculture. I like the term regenerative agriculture, um, sustainable agriculture, agroecology, um, you know, green, <laughs> green business, uh, eco food production. There's a million terms for it. And each do kind of have their own uh, niche and application. Uh, but, you know, I, that's the term I use is regenerative uh, agriculture, where, you know, we imitate ecology to improve agriculture. Um, the conventional transitions are more complex, generally. Um, there's obviously a system in place. Um, again, most farmers are not profitable, and we live in a very heavy yield-based system. There's a lot of crop insurance and various regulatory agencies involved, and um, things of that nature. You have large companies with patents on various things and things can get fairly complex. So I won't go too far into it, but we help provide the, not only the design tools, but the consulting needed to guide them through that process. And then we are working to develop with um, various regulators in different states and um, other oversight bodies, the financial tools to allow them to do this in a way that's economically viable because that is a big concern. And one of the major aspects holding back a lot of people from this market is, you know, you have a, you have a lot of American farms that one bad season without crop insurance will, would close the farm. Uh, I mean, foreclosure would be really the only, uh, the only option. And uh, with crop insurance and stuff, there's certain things you have to do to be compliant with that. And so we're working on developing a system to replace crop insurance and that gets fairly um, detailed with financial markets and how and how those things work. But we focus on that transition as well, which is, is a fairly large piece of the market that I'm really excited about. Um, we are currently developing two subsidiaries, uh, a capital management and an urban development portion of the company that are gonna focus, the capital management would focus on the creation of these financial instruments. Um, as well as uh, fixed income securities that leverage the diverse and um, regenerative nature of, you know, agroecological businesses to create, you know, um, minimized input in this term, minimized monetary input and maximum output. Again, this would be maximum monetary output systems. Um, that's kind of its own conversation. If anyone's curious about that, I encourage them to message me or um, go to the website and, you know, we'd love to talk about it. It is in development. Uh, those things kind of take a while, obviously, because there's a lot of people involved, a lot of laws involved. And then um, the urban development portion focuses on 
pollution uh, reduction and restoration services. So you brownfields, um, industrial sites, things of that nature. Um, and we're also working with uh, city and state governments to acquire um, vacant sites or ex, um, ex industrial sites and turn them into actual functioning uh, urban agroecological sites and then fr uh, franchising those locations out to people. Particularly, we're really interested in trying to drive um, ecological benefit and economic benefit in traditionally disenfranchised areas, which suffer the brunt, not only in the past of these industrial, you know, industrial pollution and, um, and, and various things that have happened in the past that have disenfranchised um, a lot of poorer and um, black and brown communities in the cities, but also in now with uh, the, the climate changing and the climate impact, they do tend to suffer um, a overwhelming majority, sadly, of the impacts. And, and I believe that's not something that I can live with as a person. I, I don't want to live in a society where that happens. So we're working on getting those uh, infrastructure sites and um, systems in place to put those in various urban cities around the country and you know, hopefully one day the globe. And um, we do have some other uh, software products that we're working on right now. Um, those are farther down the pipeline, but it's kind of what my company does. We just, we focus on taking these ecological concepts and finding um, things in the world that need to be improved. And, you know, we figure out how can we improve them using these ecological concepts. I, I generally believe most people mean well. And however, if you put people in a situation where it is either, you know, go bankrupt and your kids have to drop out of high school and you lose your house and, you know, you lose your job uh, or, you know, continue in the traditional systems that are, you know, slowly degrading the planet to the point, obviously, where we're getting these impacts, but doesn't necessarily always look like that on a personal level. People are going to go with that uh, second option, you know, every time. And, and, I, and set, but it's, it's sad, but I, I understand it. I mean, you know, no one is going to put themselves or people they care about um, out and impoverished uh, when the, you know they, they have a way to live a fairly comfortable life. Granted, it does come at somewhat of a, a disassociation from what's going on around the world. So when I saw that, I said, all right, well, we have to make a way that we don't you know, put people out and we, we produce economic benefit for these people implementing these systems. And um, obviously it's a long road and things compound over time and will improve over time. But it, it, if we, as a community, as a, you know, whatever people wanna call it, a permaculture community, an environmental community, a green community, whatever, if we believe that our systems can regenerate nature, um, everything at a broad scale is concepts and, you know, and the general laws of the universe, for lack of a better word. So I don't see a reason that those can't be applied. Obviously, you know, one of the fundamentals is inclusion and diversity in our field, whether that's ecological or social. I don't, I don't see why monetary can't fall into that. And, I, and frankly, all the research that I've done and um, with developing these financial instruments and developing these economic systems to work in conjunction has so far proved that. I, I think that when you in, start integrating these economic systems to put energy and capital into these 
uh, ecological businesses or ecologically based businesses, it, it's the same thing as any anything else like a guild or or you know um, like a polyculture. I mean, it's a minimized input, maximized output system. You just swap plant for money, <laughs> you know, and that's how kind of how I explain it to people. And you know, again, there's a lot of social um, norms and and conventions and ideas that are you know, can tie into that and complicate things. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, if we're going to be an inclusive, diverse, uh, diversified and um, a regenerative community, we have to do that in all aspects. And I don't think we have the right, you know, as it, you know, and I'm part of the community. So I feel like I can say this to decide like, oh, well, I don't like business. So I'm not going to figure out how to deal with that part. It's like, well, that's why 80% of people aren't getting involved. So if you want to see, you know, the environment succeed, you will figure out a way to do this. And again, we have the way we have this collective intelligence now. You know, we have more intelligence than ever. Every every other day, I listen to a brand new uh, book on my phone, you know, and some of these books were written in like 1912. I mean, you have knowledge from hundreds of years that has been collected and categorized that is available to us. If there's any time in human history where we're going to solve these problems, and I would argue that we are now doing it under a time clock. It's going to be now. And I think the capital management portion is going to be a huge part of that. And you're going to see that in the next 10 to 15 years, I think maybe even five. Um, I don't think longer than 20. You're going to see a, a fairly large boom in this new understanding of regenerative capital. And what I think is just so cool about the work that you're doing is that like we've said, this isn't like a, a silver bullet that's going to solve everything at one time. And solutions really do require intentional planning and multiple pieces coming together at different times in different ways. Um, and something that I think, yeah, that really jumps out and is something that I think is a message for people abroad of like how do we deal with this situation that we have at hand it's like you're you're clearly showing that there's an opportunity to you know actually transition our systems to um to to solutions that are ecologically environmental or ecologically economically and socially balanced in a proper way um but you're also recognizing at the exact same time that you, if you're going to, if you want to keep something like what you're doing, you have to radically change like all the institutional structures that are around that are keeping the traditional way of doing something so steadfast and in place. Thinking about the subsidies on a lot of and, and a lot of um, tradition or a lot of traditional or more modern agriculture, or thinking about the subsidies related to transportation right now, and how you know the spoiler alert, like the price of gas of gasoline isn't really the real price of gasoline any way that you look at it, whether you're looking at it ecologically, whether you're looking at it socially, and also economically, there are secret subsidies that are just skewing the way that the market sees this commodity. And I think the same thing with agriculture in the sense that here we have these, there's this, the community, the environmentally, I, I like to think of it maybe like the, the community that cares about 
like the relationship between the environment and society um, and just like wanting to see our society live long term. I think because I think environmentalist or like green peace person like those put you in a box put an individual in a box when the exact point where we are trying to make or we're making in this conversation is that there is no box we need to think that they're like we need to be able to think outside of that um and so this twofold that i think is really powerful and i want people to continue thinking about is like how do we make room for better ways of doing things um, that are informed through knowledge and nature and learning through the natural cycles that we have in this world around us? And how do we radically change the, the structures that have kept us away from reaching into better solutions, things that have kept us in these structures? And that can be interpreted in so many ways of like, the way that we live, the way that we get our resources, the way that we interact with the world around us, the way that our money works, the way that our society works, that our government works. Like there's so many, I think the thing with change is that it's not like, oh, we got to pull one string and it's going to change everything. Um, and it's important to be very intentional about all those other things so that we can move towards solutions like you're presenting. Um, and so I think that is that like relatively why like what what purpose do you think that doing this like twofold uh, this this uh, parallel effort to create new systems and change or we I guess it would be like weakening the systems that are so um, strong that kind of keep us where we're at. Um, I think there's actually ironically, I believe there's a twofold uh, response to that would okay. be first is um, if, if you're going to have to redesign a building and there's people inside of it, they generally can, uh, you know, I at least I fall into this cam is you don't blow out the foundation. And, you know, you don't just strap a bunch of dynamite to the foundation when people are in the building and just like be like, all right, well, we'll rebuild it after we just, you know, level it. And that's kind of, I, I think, a disturbing notion that I see develop in some of, you know, in various communities or ideologies around the world is um, this idea of, you know, I believe in radical change, but I believe that radical change has to have a, a logical process. And I, I don't believe that I can view human lives or you know bio, biological life on this planet as a whole um as collateral damage i believe that's the wrong way to go and you know one wrong step will still lead you down the wrong path if you keep going that way so i i don't think um i think that working in parallel to you know weaken more established systems and build new ones up is more um it's just and whether you want to look at it ethically, morally, spiritually, however people view that that type of, of of human consciousness, I believe that's a very important aspect. Is how do we do this in a way with the least amount of um, collateral damage and not start writing off, you know, people or um, ecosystems or cultures or you know, um, insert whatever people want to put there as collateral damage. I think that's a very dangerous notion, and I think. Um, the road to hell can be paved with good intentions. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. And I, I especially encourage people in the, you know, the environmental community to consider that when they're talking about more radical change, especially 
when it comes to governmental systems um, is understand that those shaky foundations might also be the only thing supporting up communities who did not ask to be put on top of them. Um, secondarily, I believe um, when we look at a forest or really any ecosystem, but I like forest for this example, um, very rarely um, does a clear cut or you know something lead to a beneficial outcome. You know, obviously nature, you know, has natural burns and things, but in um, an actual natural state, the burns don't look like they do out west right now. It's an understory clearing. Um, the whole ecosystem benefits, it causes a regeneration. You know, if you walk out to an alder grove and there's Douglas fir and, you know, um, uh, you know, hemlock or, and then you might even have some cedars coming up there you know, one person can say that's an alder forest, the other could say that's a young, you know, that's a young uh, mature conifer forest. And I believe um, we're kind of in that situation now. I look at my company as a transitional company. I believe we're a transitional species, so to, so to speak, where we're building that uh, foundation for something more mature and climatic and, and established to exist for, you know, um, a very, very long time, um, whatever that looks like. So that is how nature does it. Um, obviously everything I model in my, uh, you know, in our company is based on nature. I very rarely see natural models that do not work. And I've yet to meet someone who's out developed a natural model, especially a natural, you know, an actual natural model. Um, I've seen people modify it, but never, never to the point where they strip it down and change the laws of how our biological world works. So that's how I like to look at it. And I think that's gonna be more effective. I think that's the way that I see real change happening. So while we're building these communities and systems through a transitional style, sort of meshing of various cultures, ideologies and established structures, um, I think good ideas do win out, um, you know, when put on an even playing field and even maybe even a slightly um, uneven playing field. I, I believe good ideas went out. I believe beneficial ideas went out. I believe people who create value, I believe things that create value and ideas that create value went out. And what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to destroy all these systems as much as, you know, maybe I would like to um, because I'm not capable of doing that. What I'm trying to do is put a crack in the wall and, you know, give, give everyone a hammer, like, and we're, you know, bring the wall down at that point, because this is only going to be done if we look at ourselves as a collective, a collective global community. Um, and the idea that someone's just going to blow out the foundation and everything's going to rebuild from there, I think it's a very individualistic ideology. And while there's, I believe an individual responsibility, to, you know, as a primary um, idea, I think it's a dangerous path to go down, path to go down when you're talking about global change. And I think the transitional model, the ecosystem transitional model, the successionary model um, offers us an effective evolutionary refined blueprint for massive change that does not involve, you know, um, <laughs> destroying ourselves and everything around us in the process for lack of a better better explanation or looking at you know 
people or communities and cultures and things of that nature um, as collateral damage, which again, I, I wanna stress is a very dangerous route to go down. Absolutely. And Mario, like, I am just like clapping, emphasizing, like I really just appreciate everything you just said, because I think that that's the truth. We know that change is constant and that this like intellectual debate of what to do about it. We there's answers around us. We can see in nature and through these models of how natural systems grow and change Um, and really take that home and um, apply that to the world that we live in and the way that we look at our role um, and the way that we look at the way to structure the world that we live in. So I really appreciate you taking time to just chat with me. I always enjoy our conversations and I'm glad that we got this one um, recorded and we'll be able to release it for others to hear. Same here. I'm really excited. Thank you again for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to round us out um, and we'll talk to you soon. So thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you have any feedback, I'm going to drop all the details, um, some resources in the show notes. So stick around and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this lengthy but could be lengthier discussion on the climate cause. Check out the show notes and or visit our website theclimatecause.com for more information. Follow us on your socials too.